You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets, where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives. Today, we're speaking with two friends from the industry who have been friends themselves for many decades, one with a major fund administration and custody provider, and the other with an ETF provider. And interestingly, both of their employers have an international component to their ownership. They will be speaking to the ETF and broader Canadian and global capital markets, as well as innovations such as liquid ulce legislation that continues to create opportunities for investors to take advantage of alternative investment strategies. James Braun is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca. Welcome. Today is Tuesday, April 28th, and I'm James Baron with CASA, and this is Alternative Thinking. Today we have Ron Landry from CIBC Mellon and Steve Hawkins from Horizons ETFs. Uh, we'll start with self-introductions. Uh, start with you, Steve. Hi, James. Uh, thank you for having me here today. Uh, I'm Steve Hawkins, President and CEO of Horizons ETFs. Uh, Horizons ETFs is the fourth largest ETF provider in Canada. We have three uh, very unique um, types of ETF structures underneath our, um, uh, with our assets under management. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, roughly 94 products listed on various stock exchanges in Canada. Uh, we have $11.4 billion of um, uh, AUM. Um, wow. We basically provide um, traditional benchmark ETFs, but we use uh, sort of a, a, a better mousetrap with a synthetic, uh, more tax-efficient total return strategy. We provide uh, a family of actively managed ETFs, which includes some certain alternative ETFs that provide access to various other asset classes. And we have what, what our grassroots, uh, what we grew up from, uh, is our Beta Pro lineup of ETF, which is um, a group of ETFs which are leveraged, provide leverage, inverse leveraged, and inverse exposure to various underlying asset classes like equity indices, the TSX 60, S&P 500, but also crude oil, nat gas, and uh, of late, you know, with uh, everything going on in these marketplaces and volatility, um, you know, investing in commodities has become a, a very uh, sticky point for investors. And so we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, there. And that's a little bit about Steve and Horizons. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Steve. Uh, so who uses these uh, double leverage, uh, inverse double leverage, inverse leverage uh, types of ETFs? Is it uh, more sophisticated investors, uh, the retail public? Uh, is it a mix? Is it family family offices? Uh, generally, who uh, who do you think uh, really use yeah, these these are very speculative uh, tactical trading mm-hmm. tools to sort of profit or protect yourself based on the existing portfolio you have or assets you have. Um, you know, we do not uh, encourage investors to be invested in these for more than one day wow. um, because, you know, overnight, you know, they're rebalanced from an exposure perspective every single day with respect to mm. leverage. Um, you know, they're they're very, very sophisticated trading tools. Um, you really have to understand what's going on in the marketplace um, uh, to be able to trade these properly uh, and use them properly. And, and you know, to some degrees, I mean, we, we actually, sorry, we do have a, a single up um, oil ETF as mm-hmm. well. So, um, but that is, you know, follows your more traditional 
um, way of just investing into a you know single long an asset class, but leveraged ETFs and specifically the oil because of the volatility in oil requires a significant amount of, of rebalancing every day. And you know if oil um, moves by uh, 50% in any one day, that means one ETF goes up 100% and one ETF goes to zero. Mm. Um, you know you can never invest, you can never lose more than what you invest. And you have the opportunity to profit very significantly by a by a huge market change that goes in your favor. But these are effectively tools where you're rolling the dice on a bet on which way oil is going to go or or Nasdaq's going to go, and they're for short term trading purposes only. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, you can't lose more than all your money because there was something I think in, in Bank of China had that retail investors had, and they could lose more. In fact, they lost one point three billion dollars. That like they lost all their money plus they owed. So yeah, it's good to know that your your losses are, are capped with that. Um, and then one more with the you said you have a tax efficient structure and the synthetics. Uh, maybe it's two parts. One is you getting exposure to oil. Was it in that that negative price type of future, or is it like a mix so that it's not going to face that type of kind of weird trading? And then how does the the tax efficiency uh, kick in for those? Well, all of our um, synthetic structure ETFs, uh, which we've been managing now for over 12 years, are built with a total return feature into them. So interest. So if they're a fixed income, then interest income is built into that total return um, of the ETF. If hmm. there's dividends that are um, payable by the underlying equity securities that day. So our, our uh, derivative contracts are, even for our leveraged ETFs, are effectively against a total return of the underlying index, whatever it tracks. Mm -hmm. But that goes both ways as well, right? So, you know, uh, because of dividend uh, issuances and things like that, that compounds for uh, equities on a going up basis, but it, it uh, significantly uh, takes away from uh, the returns of the inverse mm -hmm. leverage ETFs. With our oil ETFs specifically, um, you know, we thankfully we were rolled out of the May contract um, earlier than when it went nice. negative. Um, you know, if an ETF uh, or if a, if a underlying commodity went negative, that means the index go negative. And, and we actually don't even know. We were working with our index providers this week. They actually, can an index actually go negative? Yeah. How do they price it? So index? many things are going negative lately. You know, it, it's just, <laughs> it's it's completely unfathomable for, you know, the, the index universe itself um, that you could have a negative return um, like that or negative position on an index. You know, our ETFs work on the day over day change. So, um, you know, I would say in the past 12 years of running these ETFs, we'd never seen um, the volatility of oil um, go by more, you know, a, an intraday um, change by more than, let's call it 20%. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that was a very, very rare circumstances. Um, you know, but over the past week, we've had um, intraday movements, like even within 15 minutes of an oil contract moving by more than 50% in 15 minutes, which is just unfathomable. You know, when you're dealing with commodities, they typically trade in dollars and cents. They don't trade in percentage changes. All of our ETFs work off percentage changes. So that's one very, very key point that people have to understand when they're when they're looking at these, again, very highly speculative uh, investment yeah. tools. Oh, thanks. And uh, Ron, uh, what, what do you see from your perch at uh, CIBC Mellon? I understand, like you work with quite a few asset managers and other clients. Um, like, what's uh, what, what exactly do you do for them? 
Thanks for having me, James. Uh, my name is Ron Landry, and I'm head of product and KTF services for CFC Mellon. Uh, been here uh, just over 10 years uh, in various roles, but uh, in the last 13 months sort of took over the products piece as well as uh, the ETF servicing piece. Um, so CIBC Mellon um, was founded in 96 as a 50-50 joint venture with BMI Mellon and CIBC. We are um, a Canadian custodian exclusively focused on investment servicing needs of Canadian institutional investors and global institutional investors into mm -hmm. Canada. Uh, as of March 31st, we have 1.8 trillion of assets under administration, almost a third, maybe uh, half the assets that are invested. Yeah, well, that's a tremendous, uh, tremendous amount. So what do you do for, say, the institutional investors uh, and what, what kind of clients would you have there? Uh, so we have, you know, and we, institutional is a, a broad range, so asset managers would fall into that uh, Asset owners, insurance companies uh, are really our, our largest segments that we service today um, from that standpoint. So, if, you know, for asset managers today, we do custody, fund administration, record keeping, FX execution through e either one of our parents, uh, SEC lending. Those are the, the main focus. And then on the asset owner side, depending on what type of asset owner it is, if it's a pension, once again, it's custody, it's institutional pension accounting, it's, uh, you know, on the insurance side, um, you know, seg funds, we would do the seg, seg fund accounting, custody on general assets, we do custody. Uh, so we, we touch a, a lot of the institutional clients here in Canada. Yeah, I guess you're, you're facilitating everything because there's, there's, like you mentioned sec lending and that's like the securities lending or whatever a hedge fund or an investor wants to sell something they don't own, they basically go, do they, do they go to you or through you? And then they, they get the security, sell it in the market, hope it goes down, buy it back and, uh, and, and pocket a hefty profit. Like where, where are you in that, in that kind of chain? Uh, so we're the, we're the lending agent for our clients. So um, we are lending to borrowers um, our, our clients' mm -hmm. assets uh, for them to gen generate revenue on. Uh, so yeah, there there could be borrowers that are using it to facilitate short selling, um, and then we just take collateral in exchange for that. And then, right. Um, yeah. We just, if uh, our clients need the asset back, then we do a, a normal course recall on the asset. As a client of CMC Mellon, mm -hmm. you know Horizons uh, uses um, them very extensively for security lending activities uh, for certain of our ETFs where we have uh, underlying physical. Uh, portfolios. As an example, our uh, Horizons Marijuana uh, Life Sciences ETF, um, mm -hmm. you know, does all has its assets custody with CBC Mellon, and that fund generates um, over a 10% annualized yield without owning any dividend-paying stocks in its portfolio, wow. and it does that through all of its security lending activities, uh, which are uh, you know done through CBC Mellon. You know, we have uh, for the past two years. Uh, been able to generate more than $50 million annually in securities lending revenue um, for the unit holders of our ETFs, um, you know, just simply through securities lending. So in certain parts of the capital markets, securities lending is an absolute necessity. And we're happy to be partners with CIBC Mellon. Uh, you know, securities lending, to put things in perspective on the different types of um, uh, assets that are, are 
you know, the lending, you know, here we have XIU, the largest ETF in Canada, and they generated in 2018, $576,000 of securities lending revenue for the ETF. And in 2019, they generated $3.5 million of securities lending revenue for the ETF. But let me put that into perspective. HMMJ generated $73.6 million of securities lending revenue in 2018 and $78.6 million of securities lending revenue in 2019. XIU is, uh, from an ETF perspective, is was almost 50 times the size of HMMJ mm-hmm. from an assets perspective, but it's only invested in the 60 largest cap uh, companies in Canada, being all the banks um, and things like that. So it's, you know, the securities lending activity on those underlying securities um, is very, very minimal. You know, the change, the big change for XIU, as an example, between 2018 and 2019, and why you saw that uh, revenue number jump significantly for them, because it's always traditionally been below a million dollars, mm-hmm. is Canopy Growth, a marijuana company, got added to the TS660 in 2019. <laughs> so they were able to lend out this marijuana right. company and generate new securities lending for XIU unit holders who have traditionally never been able to see uh, those types of those types of returns, but you know that securities lending revenue on a relative basis to that fund is um, you know only a few basis points for HMMJ as an example. It's over a ten percent. Well, I guess the other thing that's been a bit of an elephant. We're talking about the the coronavirus in a bit too, but you know how about and I know you wrote a piece actually for one of our papers, uh, Ron, for Liquid Alternatives, and um, we've been keeping stats. And I think our last one was seven point two billion. It was down a little bit from the end of the year. Uh, so the quarter went down from 7.3 to 7.2 billion. Our guess is 20 in June. That's what we kind of said last May, uh, maybe. And then we're even more bullish, like 100 billion in like in the three-year time frame from the start. So because we've kind of seen this movie before in real in mutual funds, but so that's my really biased view. But what what do you think, Rod, from looking at all of your uh, clients and the thing, products they put out? I think there's like 100 funds from 36 issuers now. Um, and then, uh, we'll hear from you and then, and then I'm sure Steve has something to say about his, his, uh, what he's seeing in the liquid ops area too. Yeah, look, I, I think once again, liquid alts is a, a, a wide category and I think it's still going to boil down to the, the investment strategies that, um, the issuers are putting out mm-hmm. there, right? Some are going to work really, really well in this environment and some are just, uh, not like they, they are either closer to index follower um, than they are really putting in um, investment strategies that will uh, either protect you in the downside uh, market or uh, help you um, gather some some decent returns in this in this volatile market but you know once again not all all products are made equal and just painting them as liquid also mm-hmm. assuming that they're all the same uh, could be uh, difficult. So obviously investors and advisors need to understand what they're trying to accomplish when they're uh, selecting a product and making sure they're selecting the right product for the, the ultimate goal that right they're on. trying to achieve. How about you, Steve? I think you guys have had a product in liquid alts, kind of in liquid alts for, for years, haven't you? Even before, way before this legislation. Yeah, I mean, we we were, I would say, essentially the first liquid alt ETF provider um, uh, in Canada with uh, several different strategies, you know, going back to our, you know, our beta pro ETFs, mm-hmm. because they provide um, leveraged and inverse leveraged exposure to a lot of the indices, 
you know, people are using these as hedging tools um, in today's current marketplaces. They don't necessarily want to sell the full basket of equities that they own, whether it be Canadian equities or U.S. equities in, in with this market turmoil. But what they can do on an interim basis is they can buy um, instead of selling a futures contract, which is very complicated, they can buy an ETF that provides inverse exposure or even inverse leverage exposure as a hedge against uh, uh, against their portfolio, they can even buy, you know, we have a long volatility ETF. So they can buy long volatility if they think volatility is going to spike with the equity markets going down. So these are types of products that people can use, you know, for hedging. These are, you know, alternative, um, liquid alternative type of products. You know, we also have um, a hedge fund replication. So, right. you know, people have not traditionally, um, you know, retail investors traditionally haven't had access to, you know, hedge fund like strategies. Um, you know, without uh, being accredited investors, without putting in one hundred fifty thousand dollars, you know, things like that, signing yeah, a, sign your life away, a massive yeah. amount of paperwork, yeah. exactly signing a life away. You know, we provide you know in retail form uh, an ETF that trades on the stock exchange that provides access to you know a hedge fund uh, index. So it's you know these types of strategies. You know, we have a we have the only sort of active currency strategy in Canada where oh, wow. we basically long short many different currencies. Um, there's a few different opportunities in the U.S. to do things like that. But, you know, we have an institutional manager who actively only trades currencies and they're trading yen against the euro and the renminbi against the rand and, and you know, all through uh, all through derivative contracts um, again. So, you know, uses all of the aspects of the new alternative. How about in, in the liquid oil side? Where do, you, where do you think it's going to go, Steve? Like you've been in this game for quite a while. I've uh, seen a lot of different products and uh, like heavy into ETFs. Like you say, running a billion or 11, uh, running 11 billion. Um, do you think there's going to be more strategies added to this and, and more companies coming in? Uh, what do you think of foreign entrants? Uh, and how investors are taking it? Are they are they taking to liquid alts as they as they did to ETFs and ramping that up to I think it's what a two hundred billion dollar industry now? Yeah, I mean we're over two hundred billion dollars from an industry perspective, and and you know really what's going to be um, uh, from my perspective, you know first of all, you know when you when you talk about foreign investors into ETFs, you really have to understand that Can the Canadian ETF industry really is an island of itself. When you're dealing with mm -hmm. international um, uh, investors, foreign investors, their absolute default, first and foremost, is to the U.S. ETF marketplace. And you can pretty get pretty much get every alternative ETF strategy that we could possibly offer in Canada, and it already exists in the U.S. So, you know, we don't have a lot of opportunities, Canadian ETF providers, into the uh, I would say the global ETF marketplaces, except in, when you have a very, very unique strategy, which might work, work might work from a tax efficient perspective or whatever for an international investor. But in Canada alone, as um, an industry here, you know, we've seen since the alternative ETF rule or alternative mutual fund rule mm -hmm. went into place um, in in January 2019, we have seen um, many providers come out with you know, forms of alternative ETFs that, you know, were traditionally um, in an offering memorandum or a segregated portfolio type of um, offering, and they weren't available to the retail public. So we have seen numerous um, products come to marketplace. You know, it's going to take some time for investors to get comfortable with those types of strategies. You know, I mean, we just celebrated the anniversary of our 
seasonal rotation ETF, which was just over 10 years old, really was Canada's first alternative, um, you know, active alternative. I'm not going to say, you know, non beta pro type of ETF out there, Um, you know, and it stuck around, you know, 20 million, $50 million for five Hmm. years. And it wasn't until, you know, people started realizing, you know, after like the seventh, eighth year that, you know, on an absolute return basis, we were producing about nine, 10% average annualized returns. And, you know, after 10 years of this product being in the marketplace, we finally almost reached 400 million of assets under management for this alternative um, product. You know, in the in the traditional hedge fund days, we're traditionally able to raise hundreds of millions of dollars much quicker than we can from in the ETF marketplace. So I still really believe that hedge funds and um, you know non-retail-based uh, products mm-hmm. like this have um, a place in the Canadian investment product landscape. You know, ETFs are really for a different type of investor. They're really for smaller, I'm not going to say mom and pop, but, you know, similar to that type of investments. Um, and But getting access to these traditionally um, large institutional type of strategies, I think is a great thing for the Canadian marketplace. Uh, and, you know, we're very happy to be sort of leading at the forefront of these um, the products from this regard and, and product design. Um, and I, you know, I, we welcome new competitors in the Canadian marketplace because the more education that gets out there on these types of products, I think is better for the Canadian investors. Generally. Right. And it seems like you kind of bifurcate or barbell it. So you have the more diversified ones uh, for, for the mom and pops, like it could be a core portfolio or a part of their portfolio. And then other ones that are more, uh, say, high twitch for the traders that you wouldn't want to be in there past, past four o'clock. Uh, but it gives you a lot of exposure when you want it sort of thing. That's, that's really interesting. Wow. Um, I use something similar to Ron on the, uh, on the liquid alt. So it went through a few, uh, it was a six year journey. Yeah, it was fantastic. But, uh, so six years and, and so a couple of big proposals, lots of comment letters, lots of town halls. Uh, one of the big things was rehypothecation and this gets a little technical here, but also the, um, uh, the use of a custodian, which typically isn't used in a, in a hedge fund because it's part of the prime brokerage package, uh, got through that. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else in there that you think might might be kind of streamlined in the future, or things that, um, or is everything just like just just kicking along now, tickety boo for for uh, like say for the back mid office? Uh, no, I you know I think I think as the regulators get comfortable with with the product um, and they see some of the exemptions or changes that sort of need to be that are being asked for, so the products can be um, better suited for the end investor. Uh, you know I think we'll see much like we saw with ETS being codified within the Securities Act some some changes that will come through. Uh, you know whether it's next year or the year after, mm-hmm. uh, just. You know, as we get used to how the product works, um, get through some of the hurdles there. Uh, the regulators have been, I say, very open to having good dialogue with industry participants on what works and what doesn't work, and making sure that um, not only do good products get produced and available for sale for investors, but the investor is also protected. You know, I think. Mm-hmm. Just like ETS, we're still educating investors on what it is and how it works and how to trade them and how to use them best. It's going to be the same with mm-hmm. liquid alts. You know, like Steve said, education is is key. 
Uh, and so the more we can educate advisors and investors on liquid alts and ETFs and mutual funds, uh, the better in advisors and investors will react to the marketplace and picking the right. Yeah, you're right. The uh, yeah, like I say, going through that journey, with them, it was it was it was actually great to work with the uh, the CSA and the OSC, the, the task force on that. Like they they really wanted to learn how these the area works, how the industry works, and make something that people could use. People could put many strategies into it. That it hit seven billion in like the first year or so was great. Uh, it actually increased the Canadian hedge fund industry by about twenty percent in that one like twelve month, twelve to eighteen months. So, so that's good. And then I remember, even like it was a public forum, and they said they were open to exemptive relief on uh, on any area, like the three hundred percent leverage, the shorting of any issue, like any one issue being maxed at twenty percent. All these things are, um, you know, they are the those are the rules. But where you can make evidence based assertions, then perhaps you can have something. And they have been granted to have a a unique product out there that maybe wasn't envisioned by, by the folks who, who codified it. Maybe just one more on this uh, to Steve. Like, what do you think is going to come down the pipe next? Yeah, I mean, there's there's been a lot of talk about, you know, what's next. I mean, really, you know, we're an ETF-only shop, and, and we're a strong proponent of ETFs. And, you know, we believe that, you know, every dollar that we sell of our ETFs is great, but, you know, every dollar that we convert from a mutual fund in the ETF is even better. Uh, we believe that mutual funds are... Um, you know, going you know, going to go the way of the, the dodo bird. Um, ETFs are here to stay. We don't believe and we cannot forecast an investment vehicle of choice that retail investors would be able to have as easy access to um, that could basically supersede ETFs down the road. Um, you know, from a regulatory perspective, you know, I mean, we're I'm very, very happy that Canada is sort of at the leading forefront of of um being able to provide these various different strategies um, in ETF form, and this is one of the where this is where like Canadian ETFs over U.S. ETFs have, um, you know, had a very nice lead mm. advantage. You know, uh, non-transparency in ETFs doesn't really exist um, in the U.S. marketplace. They've only recently sort of created a structure where they're actually allowed to offer um, a non-transparent active yeah, ETF right. in the yeah. U.S. marketplace. You know. We've had non-transparent active ETFs running in Canada now for almost 10 years. You know, our active preferred share ETF was the first one. It was launched almost nine years ago. Um, you know, it's been uh, as high as almost $1.9 billion in AUM um, before sort of the market fell out of the preferred share space. Um, and, you know, and now there's like 14 other active preferred shares offered in Canada. This was all brought about because the Canadian regulators had an open mind about this. Um, you know, we're able to openly discuss the differences between mutual funds and ETFs. And, you know, we believe that almost every single um, strategy that has been of traditionally available in a mutual fund um, form can now be transformed some way into an ETF and offered in the Canadian public. You know, ETF assets now make up uh, 13% of all investment fund assets out there. Um, you know, and only two years ago, that was uh, that was only seven percent. So we've seen some significant growth in ETFs relative mutual funds. Last two years, ETFs have um, had uh, very large positive net sales on a relative basis to its AUM, and we see mutual funds coming in for the last two years uh, with uh, net redemptions every year. So ETFs going up, 
mutual fund assets going down, and we love that trajectory on an overall basis. Yeah, it's gotten huge. Uh, we had actually uh, Eden Rahim, who was at your shop uh, earlier, and he's he says, yeah, we were. I was like a quarter of the open interest on options <laughs> with all the stuff they were trading with the ETFs back then. So yeah, they were definitely a, a force to be reckoned with. Um, what about for your like the the crisis du jour here with the, the coronavirus? Are you going to come out with a COVID nineteen ETF, or is there some area that we don't want to be opportunistic, but is there something that is perhaps more apt for this type of environment than than you might have had even thought about six months ago? <laughs> We've had a lot of ideas <laughs> thrown at us in the last few weeks. Uh, you know, the work from home ETF. Um, oh, yeah. You know, one of the ETFs that I actually really like in the U.S. Um, is it's a it's and it's one of the best performers. It's long online short uh, bricks and mortar, mm. and you know that type of strategy in this type of environment is has been on fire. It's uh, it's it's the I think it's the best performing non leveraged ETF um, in the U.S. right now, and that type of strategy, um, you know, it really resonates with me. I mean, we're a, a you know, sort of at the forefront from a thematic and, and technology-based ETFs and something that we're looking at. You know, I mean, biotech is also a very, very interesting place. I mean, you can't really talk about COVID without talking about drug trials and, and testing and all the new devices uh, that can aid people with respect to these, you know, um, all these companies, uh, you know, creating ventilators, you know, um, the medical industry itself is being significantly impacted by, you know, this global pandemic crisis that we're in. And there's going to be a lot of good things that come out of it from a, a capital markets perspective. But, you know, we're very, very carefully looking at all of these opportunities to find something that we believe is, you know, not in um, sour taste mm-hmm. um, with respect to an opportunity and deemed to be opportunistic uh uh, I'm going to run on like the, the back end. Like uh, it used to be, uh, my, my thing, I've been saying this for like 10 years now, boring is a new sexy. So BCP, the business continuity plans, all this stuff, like, oh, what if we all had to work from home? And now we are. So how has that worked with um, <laughs> with you with your shop, with CIBC Mellon and, and your clients? And I imagine it wasn't entirely, you know, perfectly placid, uh, streamlined. Everyone just drove home and started working. But how, how has the transition been and, and kind of where do people, how long do you think uh, people are planning to be off a desk or on the new cottage desk or whatever it might be? Yeah. So, you know, I would say we go back to March 16th when we were told to basically work from home. At that point, we had about 25% of our working staff working still in the office and 75% from home. Yeah. Fast forward to today. Uh, out of our 1,600 employees, 98% of them are, are working from home. Obviously, the, the highest priority for us is the health and safety of our employees, and having them work from home is the best yep. way for us to do that. We, on a quarterly basis, were testing our capabilities to to connect to the network uh, remotely. Uh, I don't know that anybody ever envisioned a scenario where even our disaster recovery sites would not be accessible as a as that's true yeah. yeah you can't say we're going to use uh, an office out of mississauga because they're not impacted they're impacted we can't use our london office because they're impacted right it's it's just not something that we ever thought of it yeah um really um but the ability the fact that we had um the tools and the technology to, to sort of pick up and go uh, made a huge huge difference in our ability to 
transition to that's cool. work from home. How about on the, the trading side, Steve? Does anybody have to be at the office there to uh, to trade stuff? Or back in the day, people you know were actually on the floor. Now it's it's all it's all just online, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's really done all through technology now. Um, you know, we use the uh, Bloomberg AIM system and, um, you know, our, our technology trading is, is pretty much seamless. Uh, everything's uploaded. Uh, you know, all the orders are transmitted. Fills are retransmitted. Fills are back uploaded to Ron's team at CBC Mellon you know, almost all with one click of a button. It's a, it's a very, very seamless process. So we don't really need anybody in the office uh, per se. We do have um, about 5% of our workforce here working from the office. I'm actually even working from the office as well. But, you know, I just live uh, three minutes up the street, so it's an easy walk to work and, you know, uh, practicing social distancing. But, you know, I mean, it is very, very different um, uh, working remotely, uh, being able to, uh, communicate with everybody you know we're we use the uh, you know we use a video conferencing um, uh, service uh, you know I had an all staff meeting yesterday morning uh, where I had 68 people log on to my video conference line and we had a great little discussion you know the problem is too many people talking at the same time and not being able to sort of you know, put your hand up and, and uh, you, you know, you actually can do that on the software, but people don't really uh, respect how to use it uh, totally as of yet. <laughs> well, you get that normal uh, rooms too, yeah. <laughs> very true, very true. I mean, I love talking over Ron when I sit next to him in a room. Thanks. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it is very unusual times. Um, you know, I'm we're, we have been... Um, and probably will continue to be working from uh, primarily remotely uh, for at least another month. Um, you know, I actually did uh, in, invite any staff up to 25% of my total staff uh, to come back to the office if they want to, as long as they are continuing to uh, practice uh, social distancing, so long as they're not going to be um, using uh, public transportation, and so long as they're comfortable in actually coming back to the office. Mm-hmm. I mean, the you know the five people that we have really working here in the office right now are all you know either walking or driving to work. Um, you know, are only going back and forth from uh, to their ho- to their home. Uh, they're only interacting with their own family members, and they're not um, you know they're not doing anything extraordinary that could um, put them in contact with uh, uh, with anybody who. Um, may possibly be transmitting the uh, uh, the virus. So, you know, mm. there is a lot of rules that we have to put in place to uh, to bring to start to bring work people back to work. But it is something that we are very actively thinking about. But the asset management industry, you know, um, is a great industry from the perspective of you know we continue to earn fees every single day. You know, one of my big problems is though I you know I continue to have to pay Ron fees. <laughs> well, it's a virtuous circle though. I mean, that's a, that's the best thing about it. Uh, and I think investors too are, are and are saying, okay, yeah. you know, this is going to be quite a few months, so we have to allocate new money and dividends come in, things get mergers, and so m- money comes free, and they're they're still looking for investments, which uh, which we're seeing a fair bit of activity in, which is which is interesting. Even, even though, like I say, it's been five weeks, but it feels like a lot longer. So I think people have kind of ex- in their mind kind of extended that timeline of getting used to it. So yeah, it's been uh, interesting. Well, this has been great, guys. Thanks for your time today. Uh, I don't want to keep you too long here. I guess, uh, yeah, it's like thank you again. And uh, with uh, with any luck, any sometime soon, it could be a year ago, we'll all get together and uh, and talk about this 
this day we spoke to each other over these uh, over the computer lines here. Um, yeah, just thanks again, and we look forward to getting you guys on another podcast uh, sometime again soon. James, thank you very much for having us, and Ron, it was a pleasure. Yes, thanks, James, and Steve, always a pleasure to be talking with you.